What a great song and promise. Um, there's another chorus of that song that um, the very last one, if you're familiar with it, um, says, and we've been there 10,000 years, right shining as the sun. No less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And just speaks of that eternal promise that God gives us in His Word when we confess Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior that by, by grace and by our faith in Jesus Christ we're saved and we're going to be in place of eternity where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, just glory and joy and love and light. There's no more darkness or sin and just an incredible promise um, that we can lean upon all because of grace and all because God loves us. This morning we're going to be turning to another promise in God's Word and I have to begin by a forewarning. What we're going to talk about today makes a lot of people uneasy, and, um, but it is vital. This one truth out of the many in God's Word and one promise has not only impacted my life, it's impacted my relationship and my marriage, it's impacted our family, and it's impacted our kids, all because we trusted God at a promise, and we lived out that promise. We normally do series here, if you, if you are visiting with us, and this morning we're kind of breaking away from a series before we jump into the next one, um, just to focus in on a promise of God's Word. And uh, it's a text that many of us probably are familiar with. It comes out of the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, in chapter 3, and like I said, it makes us uncomfortable as it deals with the truth of the almighty dollar versus the almighty God. And um, I, I want to give this right out here. Um, we're, we're talking about the tithe and the offering today. Um, Jamie joked with me, said, oh, we're having a money message this Sunday. And uh, kind of, yeah, but it, there's, there's more, and it. it was just a joke between us. Um, I'm not preaching on tithe and offering because there's an issue in the church with money or things like that. Matter of fact, I've seen preachers do that. I've heard of preachers doing that, of preaching on a problem when the problem already exists. That's like uh, preaching on a sin that you're already struggling with. What we're doing is we're talking about this issue um, so we can come to an understanding. For some of us, it's just going to be a reminder. It's going to take us back as I was preparing for this Sunday. It just takes me back to that reminder of what God promised in His Word and how I've seen God just be faithful to His Word. For some of us, it's going to be a challenge and to look into the Word of God and, and answer the question, am I going to trust God at what He says? Um, as I said, it impacted uh, my life, my marriage, or our marriage. We're both in this together, right? Yeah. Um, our kids and our family. I first got into ministry, um, full-time uh, position was in 2002. I graduated from Southwest Baptist University in December and started full-time uh, as soon as I graduated, actually right when we got back from our honeymoon. We graduated about a week later, got married, about a week later started full-time. You talk about a good couple weeks. Um, so we get back and I am full-time. Jamie is still uh, has about a year and a half of school left, so we've got one source of income, one student, we're in our 20s, and by the government standards, we are impoverished. And uh, so we're fine with that because they're willing to give us stuff if we would ask for it. Uh, we never got to that point, except maybe asking for some help for, for school. 
Um, but there's only two of us, and our high-end meal was hamburger helper and tuna helper. And if you are a hamburger helper and tuna helper fan, that is not a smack of them. I love them. Um, let's just be honest, my wife won't let me eat them anymore. I mean, that's the truth. Um, she just won't let me buy them anymore. So, um, but I loved them, and we would eat, you know, you could spend a couple dollars, and you could eat somewhat decent, at least walk away with a full tummy. Didn't have a whole lot of expenses, didn't have any kids. We had dogs, that was our own fault. Um, we had a house for rent. We had bills that pay normal, but and they weren't huge things. We eventually bought our first house, and so we had a house payment, which just, was actually just a little bit more than what we were renting for, so that kind of worked out well. But, you know, there weren't huge expenses. Only two of us to feed. Eventually, she graduated. She got a full-time teaching job, so both of us were working. Still only, now we had moved from one dog to two dogs. Um, that's my wife's fault, not mine. Um, and still didn't have any kids. So two of us to feed. Um, we lived in a parsonage. Matter of fact, we would live in a parsonage for almost the next three years, which meant we were rent-free. We sold our house. We didn't have any mortgage on that. We owned both of our cars, and yet we were struggling financially. Every time we'd get to the end of the, the week or the end of the pay period, we paid the bills and everything that, that had to get paid, it'd come to a point where we were happy if we still had $10 in the bank account. Anybody ever been to that position? And so we were, you know, all right, we can go to McDonald's tonight, baby. You know, we're eating high on the hog. And so we would just, we would think we were doing something right. Well, after our first son, Ethan, was born, uh, it really, Jamie wasn't working. She stayed home with Ethan for the first uh, two years. And uh, we still lived in a parsonage at that point in time. And we just could not figure out what was going on. And so Jamie, I believe she was led by the Spirit of God, came up to me. Straight out asked me, you know, husbands, we like it when our wives just get us and sit us down and look us straight in the eye. And she said, are we tithing? And I smiled. I said, sweetie, 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 sweetie. You know, right? Uh, you know what we've got. You know the things we've struggled with. You know how we end up every single month. We never have anything to get by. And, and how, are we gonna, how are we gonna, plus, I'm in the ministry, Okay. I give God my time. And she looked at me and she says, this is not right. And we need to get this right. And so I struggle with that because none of the issues we had, none of the bills we went, had went away, none of the debt we had went away, none of the problems we had went away, none of the illnesses stopped. It stopped. We had a, a new baby boy who had to go to the doctor regularly. Um, we had a, a child, another child is going to be on the way. We uh, eventually had to move, and we bought a house, and uh, it was just, how are you going to do that? Well, that was, I believe, in about February, and that next Christmas, my mom decided she was going to give me and my brother a book, well, actually, me and my brother and our wives a book um, by a man by the name of Dave Ramsey. And if you're not familiar with Dave Ramsey, he's written a book called Total Money Makeover. Uh, Dave um, is, is kind of blunt, so if you're not used to blunt people, you're probably not going to like Dave. But one of the principles in there was tithe right off the top. And we had been doing it, and, and I'll admit, when we started, it was, there was always the temptation not to because you always knew the bills, you always saw what you had and what had to go out and what had to be taken care of, and kids had to be fed, and clothes had to be on the back, and bills had you know heat. Everything. There's always that was there, okay? I'm not saying that didn't go away. 
But once we got our financial situation right with God and we got our finances right the way God wanted us to use them, this truth that we're going to look at this morning exploded. We have less money coming in now. And I'm not, that, that, God has blessed us. I'm not saying anything, okay? Less money coming in per person in our household, all right? Per person in our household, and we always have more than what we need. More than what we need. And it's all because of this promise that we trusted God at his word, and we're living it out. Even when we don't know how it's going to happen, we have to be amazed by God when he says, look what I can do that you can't see. So you have your Bible, go to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. And again, this may be a reminder to you this morning. This may be something completely new that God's going to challenge you with. And, I, and again, I'm not doing this because, you know, I'm after your money, the church is after your money, or God's even after your money, as you'll see here in a moment. Math, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, the word of the Lord says, Bring the full tenth or the full tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be, good, may be food in my house, and test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, in this time and this place, I come before you and I bow down. Lord, I, I cannot deliver a message of your truth and with your love and your grace on my own ability. And I ask your spirit right now, just give me the words to say in this time. And Father, I pray for every individual who's in this place for every individual that will listen to this message later on, that you would open their ears to hear it, give them eyes to see it, and a heart that is receptive to responding to it. Father, we are your people. We want to be where you want us to be, and we want to be living by your word. So give us the faith that we lack at times to trust you at what you say. Father, forgive us where we failed you. Thank you once again for just blessing us and allowing us to be in your presence. Allow us to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ to lift you up. Praise all in your son's name. Amen. Before we get into this, because like I said, money is kind of an issue we all get a little uneasy about. One thing, we don't want to talk about how much money we have because we might come across as prideful and other people may like, well, look at us in that way. And we don't want to talk about how little we have because... Sometimes when we do that, we feel like ashamed, like we're maybe not doing something right. Well, I've just laid everything bare before you about me. I have, have had money problems in the past, had money problems when we were married, and God, by the grace of God, we're, we've gotten better. We, we see an end in sight where we will owe no one anything except what God commands us to owe them, and that is love. And so that is awesome. And it's all because of trusting God and His Word. But just so we can see how important money issues are to God, um, I want us to, to realize, we'll begin in the New Testament. If you think about one of the most popular parables that Jesus is known to have said, many people would probably jump to the parable of the prodigal son. And the parable of the prodigal son has a son of a father, a wealthy uh, owner or cattle owner, going to his father and asking for what? His inheritance, which is a big sign of disrespect. We won't dive into the fullness of that. But his father gives it to him, and what the son does is he goes off and he blows it on worldly desires and worldly passions and worldly things to the point that he is in utter ruin, okay? Money's an issue. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, well, that's kind of self-explanatory, isn't it? 
Money's an issue for the rich man, not so much for Lazarus. One is able to humble himself, one exalts himself, and they miss out on the eternal glory. Uh, the rich man misses out on the eternal glory of God. In a trilogy known uh, by Jesus, one of the parts of the trilogy is the parable of the lost coin, where the woman finds the coin and she rejoices exceedingly because she found what once was lost. When Jesus once goes to the temple, there's a poor woman who comes to the temple, and as the religious leaders are throwing in their bags of money, she gives out of her poverty, and Jesus draws the disciples' attention to her heart, saying that she gave out of what she had and out of her heart of humbleness. You look into the end of Jesus' ministry when it comes to one of the parables or one of the miracles. The only miracle that is recorded outside of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the feeding of the 5,000. In the midst of that situation, a lot of people are gathered together and Jesus tells the disciples he doesn't want them to send the people home, but they should feed them. And the disciples' complaint is, where are we going to find enough money to do that? When you come to Jesus meeting wee little Zacchaeus who climbed up a sycamore tree, see what? You all know it, you all know it. He goes to Zacchaeus' house, who's a tax collector, who obviously had been taking more taxes than what he was supposed to so he could live luxuriously. And when salvation comes to Zacchaeus' house and Zacchaeus is overwhelmed by the love of God, Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give back four times what I took. Money becomes an issue. Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Money. Jesus' tomb was donated by a private uh, investor. Money. Money plays a significance throughout the Gospels, into the book of Acts, and the letters of Paul as they continually call for an offering and contributions for the church and the advancement of the kingdom of God. What about the Old Testament? You go in the Old Testament, Abraham and Lot had to separate. Anybody know why they had to separate? They had too much stuff. The land couldn't hold them. Money in the Bible is also used in the word as possessions. We'll see that here in a second. And by their possessions and the abundance they had and the blessing they had, the land would no longer hold both of them, so they decide to separate. When you go to uh, Jacob, Jacob returns from his dear old uncle Laban after 14 plus years of serving him for two wives. That's another conversation we'll have another day. But he comes back and he gives Esau, his brother, whom he stole his birthright, and his covenant blessing, he gives him what? Money and gifts. When Joseph goes to Egypt, he is put in charge of Egypt's what? Grain. And how do people get the grain? Money. When his brothers show up, they bring money and they bring gifts so they can get uh, food for their family. When God takes Egypt or Israelites out of Egypt in Exodus, guess what they do to the Egyptians? They plunder them. And they go in and God takes them to the promised land, which is a land speaking of abundance and blessing and prosperity. You go further into the Old Testament, the palace David built and the temple his son Solomon built was built upon offerings of wood, silver, and gold. When Naaman the Syrian general came to Elisha to be healed and Elisha healed him, guess how he wanted to respond to Elisha's healing? He wanted to pay him. As you can see, the Bible is full of money transactions and money issues. So the truth of the matter is, if we were to actually take the Bible for what it is and how much God focuses on money, we should preach on it a lot more than we do. But I've been here a little over four months. This is my first time preaching on money here. It won't be the last, but there's a reason to it. Again, hear this straight out. If you're already starting to get uncomfortable, 
I, Harvest Hill, and God are not after your money. God's streets are paved in gold. What's your 20 bucks mean to him? God's after your heart. And the reality is what Scripture reveals is our heart will attach itself more to worldly things and worldly possessions and a dollar bill and a coin and a little plastic card and trust in those a lot more sometimes than we will trust in God's Word. So God brings us to this place to call us out of that because some of us are trusting in these things, but the reality is more people lose more sleep over money issues, more people have more stress due to money issues, more families get broken apart, more marriages end in divorce because of money issues, and more people leave the faith because of money issues. And God right here in his word says, if you just would do this and trust me, You'd be amazed about what I can do in your life. So Malachi chapter 3 is, is a challenge, and I want us to understand what's going on. The book of Malachi is considered a book of prophecy. It's one of the minor prophecies, the very last book of the Old Testament. Malachi is the very last prophet that comes to the nation of Israel before John the Baptist would emerge on the shores of the Jordan River. What Malachi does is it delivers eight burdens are called oracles. If you look there in verse 1 of chapter 1, eight burdens are oracles that the Lord is declaring to His people. What, it, what it's stating is, see, the people of Israel were in exile. And Babylon, our Babylonians allowed them to go home. They begin to rebuild Jerusalem. They begin to put the walls up around the city. They begin to restore the temple. It looked nothing like it was before uh, destruction came because of their idolatry. You can read further back in the Old Testament. The temple looked nothing like King Solomon's temple, but it was there. And so the nation of Israel looked around this, and it looked like they were starting to restore themselves. They were starting to get back to where they once were. They must be, God's hand must be upon them. They must be blessed. And they started getting back into their spiritual complacency. See, that is the issue in which God sends Malachi to the people of Israel. They looked around and everything looked good. Everything looked like it should be going in the right direction. We were back in the promised land. We have a place where we can worship God. The city, the holy city has been rebuilt. We are here and we are living once again in the land that God promised Abraham. But God sends Malachi, who's also known as the messenger, to them to reveal that even though things appear good, things are not as they appear. As the people's hearts have become hard. They have become so hard-hearted and so into their sin that when God shows up to speak to them and call them out, their response every single time is, well, good, 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 God, what do you mean? What are you talking about? But at the very beginning of Malachi in verse 2, you see where the Lord is coming from. The very first thing he says to his people is, I have loved you. But the people are so hard. If you look there at the end of verse 2, their question or their response is not, oh, thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. Thank you for your love and your faithfulness. And thank you for being true and being the one true God. Their response is, how have you loved us? See, what they were doing is they were looking around them and seeing the situation they were in. They were looking at the bills that needed to be paid. They looked at the mouths that needed to be fed. They looked at all the harvest that was coming in. There wasn't enough to go around. There wasn't enough work. The, the nation was in a time of recession. 
Everyone was struggling. They were still under foreign rule. They were still having to pay taxes to a government that they didn't care for, didn't think they had their best interest in mind. Ever feel that way? They were having to bring food in, but there wasn't enough food to feed everybody. There was not enough money to go around to pay for all the expenses, and people were struggling. And so when God comes to them and reminds them, I have loved you, and the statement is, I have loved you past, I love you now, and I'll love you forever. I love you. Their only response is, praise Jesus. No, their only response is, how? How can you say you love me in the situation I'm in? How can you say you love me when you see what I'm going through? You see my struggles. When you see that we are still under this foreign government who serves false gods, how can you say you love me and you are for me? So what God does because he loves them, he begins revealing to them, this is why things are the way they are. But every time God reveals a complaint against them or a judgment against his people, people instead respond is, What do you mean? The same goes to this one. If you want to jump back into chapter 3. Beginning in verse 6, the Lord begins this statement that takes us to verse 10. He begins this statement because I, the Lord, have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. And what that statement is saying is God says, I am a faithful God. I am true to my promises. I am true to my word. And because I have promised to be your God, the God of Abraham and the God of his children, because you are of that covenant, and because you continue to wrestle in sin, because you continue to trust in other things besides me, even though you continue to be in that, I have not destroyed you. Because I have not changed. I still love you. I still give you grace. I still give you mercy. So the understanding is, it's your heart that's changed. Remember when I brought you out of Egypt? Remember when you stood on the mountain and I I came and I descended upon it and you were so aware of my glory, so in awe of my presence, you begged Moses to go and speak on your behalf. You remember that moment when I delivered my law to you and my word to you and you said that you would do it? You entered into a covenant relationship with me that you would follow my statutes and my commands and my rules and you would live as my people because I'm setting you apart that all the peoples of the nation will look upon you and know that I am God. Remember when you said that you're in? Remember when I brought you into the promised land with Joshua and he renewed that covenant and he told you before he sent you out into the land that his house would serve the Lord and you declared at that moment in time, we will too, we will too. Remember that? All those things I did for you is because I have not changed because I am a faithful God and I love you, but the reality is you have changed. Your heart is no longer set on me. Your devotion is no longer for me. Your worship is no longer to me. You're doing all these things, but they're not about me. They're about you. So he brings this question. If you look there at the end of verse 7, the statement is, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. And their question is, how can we return? And, And... If you have a different translation of the Bible, the question really reads in the original language is, what are you talking about? We never moved. 
where are we supposed to return to? See, the people's hearts had become so hard to God that when God called them out to move from their sinful ways and to come back to Him, to, to repent, to return to Him, their response is, we never moved. So they felt they were doing everything that God wanted them to do and God is calling out from the heavens, you're not. I love you. Please come back to me because you're heading to a place of destruction once again. So he asked him a question. Next thing, will you rob me? And their response again, how are we robbing you? By not making the payments of the tenth, which means tithe, and the contributions, you are suffering under a curse. At this moment, God is revealing, this is why things are the way they are. This is why you're struggling. This is why you're in this funk spiritually and physically. This is why you're in this place where you never seem to have enough. Problems that are always persistent. Things are always going wrong. is because you are under a curse. Because you're not obeying, you're not listening, and you're not following what I've called you to do. He says, you are still robbing me at the end of verse 9. And then it goes into our our verse where we started in verse 10. See, throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, God called His people to bring a tenth or a tithe into His house. And what it means is, is right off the top, the first fruits. If you go to, to, to Proverbs in chapter 4, or chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions, and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Right off the top. Before you can start thinking about what you want to do with it, before you can start thinking about what you want to buy, before you start thinking about what you got to pay for, or what you need to get, right off the top. The tithe. And see, where we, we struggle with this, the same place where the people of Malachi are struggling with this. This is how we relate. Is, man, we work hard for that. I earned that. I put my time in. Man, I bought that. My name's on, on the loan. My name's on the deed. My name is on the card. Man, it, it's mine. It, it, it belongs to me. But the reality is, nothing we own belongs to us. Nothing. If you go to Psalms, Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, it says, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. Everything we have, every gadget, gadget, every hobby, every interest, everything is His. 100%. What he has done because he loves us is he has loaned it to us to be a good steward of all of his stuff. And you know what he asks in return? That we trust him with 10%. The salary we have, the cars you have, the kids you have, grandkids, the home, clothes, shoes, computers, phones, guns, boats, go on and on and on, right? It's all God's. 
All of it. Through all of it, he wants us to glorify him. But what he does is he asks us right off the top, when he blesses us with a check, blesses us with some form of income, that we give back 10% of that to him. Not only to praise him, but to trust him that he will continue to be faithful to his word. And a lot of people struggle with this because they actually believe that it's theirs. That's where I was. It's my stuff. God, you know, God, I'm in the ministry. I give more than 10% of my time to you. That's not what he wants. He wants me to let go of control something I don't really have control over. And give it to him as an offering, as a gift. When God comes to them, real quick, if you look there at the beginning or the end of verse 8, his declaration is you're not making the payments of the tenth or the tithe and the contributions. The other word for contributions is offering. And I want to draw our attention real quick. The tithe and the offering are two separate things. Right here in Scripture, it, it separates them. And throughout Scripture, it separates them. What a tithe is, a tithe is what I give to God automatically. Boom, 10%. Boom, 10%. Every single time. Contribution, the offering, is what I give on top of that tithe for a specific purpose. And so there would be contributions and offerings in Israel which people would bring certain animals or certain sorts of harvest to the temple of the Lord, not their tithe, but on top of that. And where people in church, and I was there once too, where we can get confused is we hear of offerings that need to come up and we're like, well, I'll just take a little bit from the tithe. Because it's all going to God anyway. And so I'm still giving my tithe, I'm just taking that but the reality is what I'm doing is I'm telling God how he can use the money that I'm giving to him. That'd be like you coming to me and telling me how I should drive my car or how I should wash my car or how much I should spend washing my car and how much time it should take me to wash my car and how clean I should keep my car. They may be great ideas, but frankly, it's none of your business. It's not your car. And so when we take the tithe and we take an offering from the tithe, we're telling God, yeah, you're God, but I'm still going to be in control of this part. And I'm going to tell you, God, the maker of the heavens and earth, how you can spend this part. See what's wrong with that? We're not actually saying God's God. We're saying I'm still God of this tenth. And this is how it's going to be divided out. And so when God moves upon our heart and God moved upon Jamie and our heart, not because we're like overly wealthy or anything like that, according to the government, we're still in poverty. Praise God. <laughs> government doesn't know what they're talking about, just to be honest with you. But we give to like compassion. We give to other offerings and things like that. And it does not come out of that tithe. Now, there was a time when I was in ministry and Jamie, thank you for being my helper, called me out on it because there were things, I was in youth ministry, and youth ministry has a huge budget, right, Jason? And so there were things, man, we really need this, so I'm just going to take that out of there. And that was a sin. I was robbing God. And when we do that today, we rob God of being God of our money. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 made a very straightforward declaration. 
He says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other. Verse 24. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that word for money there in the Greek means possessions. It's anything that we give value to. Anything we give worth. Anything that we, we put a value on. And that could be anything in our life. And it comes down to what Malachi is doing, what Jesus is drawing from, is we are going to be in this constant battle in our life. Am I going to trust God or am I going to trust what I can get my hands on? Am I going to trust what I can figure out and what I can, can hold and what I can see or am I going to trust God at His Word? And notice what God says here in Malachi to His people who are going through difficult times Okay? They're in a difficult situation financially, physically. Things are not exactly how they want. He says in verse 10, test me in this. Test me. This is the only time in Scripture where God gives permission to his people to test him. Any other time in Scripture, he is like a father to a child saying, don't test me, boy. But at this point in time, he says, test me. He says, examine it. Experiment with it. See if I am not the God who does not change and see if I am not the God of the covenant blessing and see if I will not bless you so much that you will not know what to do with it. That language that the floodgates of heaven will pour out, that is language taken from the flood of Genesis where so much came out that the earth did not know what to do with it. And that's the language God says, if you will test me with this thing that your heart gets drawn to every single day and you would just give me what is mine and you would bring the tent into my storehouse and give me full right to that, you will see the floodgates open to you in such a way you will not know what to do with it. And we're all in this place of struggle because this is where I was. Okay, God, but one plus one equals two and I need three. See, when Jamie called me out on the tithe, I saw the bills, I saw everything, I saw what was coming in, <laughs> and I looked at her in the lovingest way I could and said, sweetie, sweetie, sweetie. And praise the Lord, she says, but that's not what the Word of God says. And when we trusted God as Word, I'm not saying everything's always gone smoothly. We still go to the doctor, we still get sick, things still break down in our house, Cars still die. Washing machines still go out. Garage doors still don't open some days. Okay? Those things happen. That's not, the blessing is that now it's not all going to be, you know, hunky-dory and everything's going to go perfectly. The blessing is, is that God will continue to provide in such a way that you will know how to handle it. And so when those things have happened, when the kids have gotten sick, when we've gotten sick, when the cars died, when the garage door doesn't open, when the dish and wash, washing machine goes out, when the fridge doesn't work, when the electricity stops working, every single time, you know what God does? He provides a way and we get to say, wow. Did not see that coming. Because God, I was starting to do the math. Every single time God, when he says, don't, when he says, test me on this, every single time God has proved faithful. And to show you how important this is, if you go to Matthew chapter 3, sorry, Matthew chapter 4, it's the temptation of Christ. 
And the second temptation that Matthew records begins in verse 5. And it says, The devil took him, being Jesus, to the holy city, which is Jerusalem, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. This is the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem. You can see over the whole city. You can see over the whole land. And so Jesus is there. Devil, the devil somehow took him there. And the devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give His angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. What the devil does is he pulls out Scripture. Man, what a dirty dog. This is what God says. If you just, you know, just try it. And what's Jesus' response? You should not put your Lord your God to the test. Show you how important the tithe is to God. God gives His people, His people, those who have called on the name of Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, full permission to test Him on this one and only thing that deals with money. So how silly is it of us to not trust God at His word? How ignorant can we be when we will test God on every other thing in his word but this one thing? Here's reality, and I hope you've heard it already before. God is not after your money. He's not. He's after your heart. Jesus said, because where your heart is, or your treasure will be. He's after your heart. He's after your devotion. And he wants you to trust the almighty God over the almighty dollar. That's a constant battle. But his promise is, if you will trust him with this, he'll bless you in ways you never saw coming. That doesn't mean you're always going to be healthy. That doesn't mean you're always going to be eating steak dinner. He'll bless you in ways you never saw coming. Test Him. Trust Him. So I want to issue a couple challenges this morning. First off, this, this promise is only given to God's people. Okay, if you have yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you've got other issues you need to take care of. We'll get that in a second. This promise of trusting God with our money, with the tithe, is only to his people. My challenge to you, and I do not know who tithes. I don't know how much you tithe. I don't ever want to know. That's not for me to know. It's between you and God, Okay. I don't call your employer and say, hey, how much does uh, Larry make? <laughs> I don't do that. My challenge to you, if you are not tithing, then will you trust God from this point to the end of 2017 with the tithe? You're going to see your, your payroll. You're going to see what needs to be paid. You're going to see the bills. You're gonna, and all that stuff's going to freak you out, and you're going to go into panic mode. You're going to be tempted not to trust God. But will you read this scripture? Will you write it down? Will you put it up somewhere in your house where you can see it and say, okay, I'm going I'm to trust him. 
I'm going to bring the tithe in and I'm going to wait for God to do what only God can do in this situation. I've yet to issue any sort of challenge like that where someone has come back to me and said, Pastor, that was the dumbest thing you ever told me to do. But I've heard people get hesitant from teenagers to adults in my time in ministry when it comes to this challenge. And what it does, it reveals our heart. It reveals what we really trust in. So will you take the challenge? Now when God starts to bless you, the temptation is going to be to keep more for yourself. There's a guy named Larry, not this Larry. Had a friend named Pat. Pastor Pat, that's how you know it's a true story. Um, ha, ha, ha. Larry the layman and Pastor Pat, okay? They went to college together, studied together, graduated together. They were ready to graduate. They were ready to start their first career. Larry was a, a designer, and he uh, was beginning to develop an app that uh, he thought was going to do really well. And so they made a covenant together. When we get out of college, we start making money, we're going to tie 10% every single year for the rest of our lives. And so they agreed to it, <laughs> went on their way. Well, Larry gets out of college, develops his app, and he gets bought out by a company. They offer him $100,000 for the app. Awesome. So that year, he ties 100,000, 10%, 100,000 mathematicians. Some of us need to go back and do some common core, huh? Carry the one, zero, zero. 10,000, right? Okay. $10,000. So $10,000. Larry sells this thing. He has $10,000. He ties that to the church. He feels good about himself. A couple years pass. The company that buys this app comes to Larry and says, we're having some issues. We'd like to hire you and bring you on board and for you to take over uh, this segment of our company, and we will give you a $1 million salary. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Larry gets a million dollars, and he's going to tithe from his million dollars, which means he's going to tithe $100,000. Good deal. Years go on, years pass by. Larry continues to grow up in this company's ladder to the point that he becomes one of the top dogs. He's pulling in a high-figure amount. They end up giving him a raise one year. They're going to give him $60 million that year alone. And so he sits down like, holy cow, God has so blessed me. He goes down to write his check to the church, $60 million. I'm going to give 10% of $60 million, which is six with a lot of zeros behind it. And as Larry gets ready to write that check, he freezes and he pauses because he cannot bring himself to write the check that he promised he would write to his friend Pat. Wrestling over it so much, he calls his friend Pat up and says, hey, we need to talk. I just need to ask you a few questions. So they get together. He meets in his office and they start talking and they start sharing about everything God's been doing in their life and just kind of catching up. And then Pat says, so Larry, what brings you here today? And I said, well, you know, I've just been doing so well. God's continuing to bless me. And I've got to a point where I'm making a lot of money. And if I were to tithe from that money, I've been tithing about $6 million. I just can't do it. Can you pray to maybe get me out of this? The pastor bows his head and starts praying. Minutes go by. Larry's just sitting there. He's kind of frustrated. I said, Pat, what are you doing? Did God say okay? His friend Pat looks up and says, well, I've been praying about that. I've been praying that God would lower your income to a place where you'd be willing to tithe on it again. It's 
funny, but the same thing happens. I've seen people get blessed. They trust God in this, and God blesses them over and over again. And the, they take the blessings, and they run away from God. God blesses them. They buy a boat. But the only time they can use their boat is when they should be at church. God blesses them with a the summer vacation. The only time they can go is, is when a church really needs them. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go on vacation. I'm not saying you should have nice stuff. But I've seen people get blessed by God in such a way that that pulls them away from God. I've seen marriages fall apart because God is blessed. And I've seen families in a divorce because God is blessed. All because the heart is not remained focused on God. Sometimes God doesn't bless us the way we think we should be blessed simply because he knows we would fall apart if we got it. If you look in Exodus, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they plundered Egypt of all their wealth, all their gold, all their prosperity, you know what they did with that wealth? They built a golden calf. That's our heart. That was less than 40 days after God brought the plagues. That's our heart. See, money is not evil, but it is the root to all kinds of evil. So God is after your heart in this moment. Are you going to trust him? My first challenge is God's people is to tithe. Finish this year tithing. No matter how hard it is, just tithe. Just give it to him. Say, God, I'm going to trust you. You said test me. I'm going to trust you. Second challenge is this. If you're visiting with us today, this is the only part in the sermon you can close your ears for a moment. Here at First Baptist Church, we have a couple lines of debt. Or First Baptist, sorry. Harvest Hill. I've been in a lot of First Baptist churches. Um, we have a couple lines of debt. And uh, just so I make sure I get these things right. We have two lines of debt that take about $30,000 of our yearly budget. Um, that's what we budget. That's not because we pay them off at the end of the year, but that's what we budget, about $30,000. I want you to think for a moment, if we weren't sending out $30,000, what could Harvest do for the kingdom of God with that $30,000? One of our line of debts is the church van. There is $11,000, about $11,500 left on the van. We budget, so by the end of this year, it should be about down to $8,200, $8,500, somewhere around that ballpark. As a church family, if we would be willing to take up an offering, not just today, but the remainder of this year, I believe, I believe it, that we can knock that van out before the year's out. See, right now, our name may be on that van, but guess who owns the van? Well, God, yes, but the bank. Because if we stop paying for that van, what do you think the bank's going to do? Oh, yeah, you're a church, keep it. So we don't own that van. God owns it, the bank owns it more than us. But if we would be willing to give an offering on top of the tithe, this is what it looks like. If we could pay about $925 extra a month to eliminate the van debt, and you're thinking, whoa, but let me break it down. Ten families, just ten families, would be willing to give $100 above their tithe, $25 a week. Ten families willing to do that, the van would be paid off before the year's out. If 20 families would be willing to give $50 a month, we could pay it off. 
What I'm saying is it's possible if we work together as the family of God. When we pay the van off, what's going to happen is that money that we've already budgeted will go on to what we owe on this building. There's a church that blessed us, Second Baptist in Springfield, that blessed us with this facility, helped us get up and going. But we owe them money. And reality is they'd like to have that money back so they could plant more churches, not just here in Missouri, but across the world. And so you see how debt can hinder us and hinder others from advancing the kingdom of God? What I want you to do is I want you to get with your spouse or person you are dating, or maybe you just need to get with yourself, and I want you to talk about it and pray about it and decide what it is you can give. I seem to have lost my envelopes. But just so you know, because some of y'all are here today and like, man, pastor, I wasn't here when they made those decisions. I wasn't either. But this is where God called me. This guy wants me to be. And so Jamie and I have talked and our family um, is going to be giving to knock out this van. We're going to be one of the ten. So if you were listening, you know what we're going to be giving. And I only say it not to brag. I say that because we trust God. And we're in this. Maybe you want to be one thing. Maybe you can give over that. Maybe you're expecting a tax return like I'm just going to give it all back to God. Just write for van. Mike, you'll be able to figure that out, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to start knocking this thing out. And I believe God is going to bless us in such a way because we are being good stewards of what he's given us. He's going to bless us in such a way he's going to amaze us. And we're going to be in awe of how quickly we get out of this and be able to expand and continue the kingdom of God. Now, that's my two challenges. My final thing I want to say is this. If you are here, and I told you to close your ears just a second ago, open them back up. The matter of the tithe in Malachi and the matter of tithe of us today is all a matter of trust. And if you have yet to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the tithe is the least of your worries right now. Right now, you should be more concerned about your eternal destination. Because if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, you're heading for hell. But as God declared to the people in Malachi, I love you. He declares it to you right now in this place. I love you. I am for you, and I am faithful. See, we all struggle with sin. We're all just like anybody else. We all have a mess in our lives. And we can't fix it on our own. We can't be good enough. We can't work for it. We can't earn enough. We can't be a good person when we die. That, that's not going to matter. All that's going to matter is if I placed my trust and faith in Jesus Christ for the payment for my sins, he died on a cross, he was placed in a tomb, and he rose again, and I can be forgiven. Do I trust God loves me that much? Or do I believe Jesus did that for me? not by anything I can bring to the table, but simply because God loves me. So if you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you full permission at this point in time just to kind of forget everything I just spent the last 20 or 30 minutes talking about and come to this moment because this is the issue you need to deal with. You need to trust God 
for your salvation. The Bible says if we believe in our heart that Jesus died for our sins and God raised him from the dead and we confess with our mouth, we will be saved. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And as the worship team comes on up, if that's somewhere you need to be, I need to trust Jesus. And I'm going to stand here. I'm going to invite you to come down. I'd love to pray with you and celebrate with you. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're already God's child, but you know you've not been faithful with the tithe and you've been robbing God. And you just need to come and kneel before God. As He's called you to return, you need to repent before Him. I'm going to invite you to just come and take a kneel before the stage. Just tell God, God, I am sorry. I need your forgiveness. But I'm going to trust you and give me the faith I need to do this because this is scary. <laughs> Wherever God is leading you to do now's the time to make it known. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for being the God of angel armies. Thank you for being the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Thank you for being the God who doesn't need anything from us but calls us to trust you. Thank you for loving us so much you've given us your word. As we come to this point in this time of the service, Lord, let us worship you by our actions. Father, forgive us if we have failed you and we have not been obedient to what is rightfully yours. Lord, in this time and this place, I ask you to come upon your people. Lord, I ask you to speak to their hearts, reveal to them what you want them to be a part of in your kingdom's work. Father, I believe you have great mighty works here for Harvest Hill. I believe you want to do something we never saw coming. Lord, help us as a church family to trust you. Father, I pray for those who may be here this morning and have yet to trust you as your Lord and Savior, that you would give them the courage to come forward in this moment and this time. Father, we praise you and love you. And thank you for this day. Praise on your son's name. Stand as we sing.